Now, brothers and sisters, James starts off this section with this question, who is wise and understanding among you? When he uses the word wise there, he's speaking of someone that has uh, an understanding about the true nature of things, so that they're able to make uh, good decisions at the right time, in the right place, concerning this thing that is at hand. When he uses the word understanding there, he's speaking of someone that has a specialized knowledge uh, in whatever subject is at hand. And so really what James is saying to these Jewish Christians when he's asking this question is he's saying, who on earth among you is all-knowing, that understands and is wise to make decisions within the context that you are in at that point? Now, by way of introduction, it's very important for us to see that this question is an absolutely amazing, fantastic question. When we consider our fellow man, or the human race, I would say. Because we live in a world where human beings are always trying to convince one another that they are wise and understanding, that they're worth following. I mean, we see this in everyday life, don't we? On the TV, on the internet, in our magazines, in our universities, wherever we may be, someone's saying to you, I know what's best for your life. I know what's best for your family, what's best for your work, what's best for your church, and what's best for your hobbies or whatever you're involved in. I think we're seeing this being played out very specifically in the UK at the moment as we prepare for this um, uh, EU referendum in June. On the one hand, you've got people saying, we should leave Europe, and don't worry, I'm not going to give you a political speech or tell you what you should vote, but you've got those saying we should go on one side and those saying we should stay. And they're all trying to barter with each other and get your attention and say, we're wise, we're understanding, we know what the future holds for the UK, and you should vote this way. This question, who is wise and understanding among you, is a fantastic question to ask of mankind because mankind likes to think that he is all-wise and all-understanding. Why? Well, because he's proud. He's proud because he is a sinner. And because he's a sinner, he thinks that he is like God when it comes to wisdom. Job speaks of God in Job chapter 12, verse 13, when he says, With him are wisdom and strength. He has counsel and understanding. And you see, the thing is, sinful man thinks that this verse is true of him. And because he thinks that he's like God, he likes to portray this wisdom and understanding upon other people. This is what mankind does. Now, you'd think that for us as believers, uh, for us as Christians, that we would be beyond this temptation to think that we're right about everything. But I think if we're being honest with ourselves in here this morning, honest with our hearts, we still suffer with this temptation, don't we? We still think that we are all wise, that we are all understanding, that we are right about all things. Whether it's the Bible, whether it's church, whether it's the gifts of the Spirit, relationships within the church, 
we all think that we're right. I mean, has anyone had this classic example in church where a brother or sister comes up to you and they share that they're going through a difficult time and you give them some counsel or some wisdom and they go off and do the opposite thing to what you've advised them to do? And then they come back and they say, oh, no, it's really terrible. I didn't listen to you. I should have taken your advice. And you see, the Lord in that situation will call you to be compassionate and understanding to them. But what do we often do? We say in our hearts, I told you so. You should have listened to me. I am all wise and I am all understanding. This is what we do. Whether we believe in Jesus Christ or not, we all fall into this temptation to think that we have all wisdom and all understanding. Now, when you know that, you can understand very specifically why James is asking this question to these Jewish Christians at this time. Remember the context of this letter. These Jewish Christians, they were in Jerusalem. They were kicked out of Jerusalem by persecution. They went into Judea and Samaria. They were poor. They had very bad social circumstances. And they were in difficult times. And you can imagine that in that kind of circumstance, there would have been a lot of, um, uh, a lot of uh, difficulty in knowing what the future holds. What's going to happen next week at church? Am I going to be at church next week? Am I going to be able to survive this next week? And in that kind of circumstance, because we're sinners, people began to say, I know what we should do. We should do church this way. We should preach this thing. We should do fellowship this way. And there were these different opinions being raised up within the churches, and it was causing a lot of arguments and strife which I'm sure John will come on to next week in James 4. And so James wants to deal with that specific scenario in this section. He's going to say, okay, let's see who is wise and understanding among you. Let's see who you really should believe and trust to make decisions within the fellowship. And he's going to teach us about wisdom and how wisdom comes forth practically in a Christian's life. Now, this is really important for us. In the 21st century, because if you've been a Christian for long, you will know that there are certain things about the Christian life that are certain from the scriptures. But there are also things that are not certain. We go through situations where we honestly don't know what to do. I'm sure many of you have had those situations yourself where you're like, Lord, I don't know what to do here. I don't know what's going to happen in the next hour, the next day, the next few weeks, the next few months. You've got to help me, Lord. You've got to do something. You've got to give me wisdom. And in that circumstance, many people in the church, quite rightly, will give their opinion to you. They'll say, I think you should do this. Or I think you should do that. But the question is, how do you know what that person is speaking to you is wisdom from God? Well, this is what we're going to see today. James is going to show us by teaching us about wisdom specifically and also how practically it comes out in Christians' lives who we should listen to. And he's going to talk about four things, I would say. So the first thing is found in the rest of verse 13, where he says, Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Now, this is following on from this question. 
And really, very simply, what James is saying here is he's saying that if someone claims to be wise or understanding among you, they have to show it. And that word for show there means to bring a visible evidence of something. And he's saying you need to show visible evidence of your wisdom and understanding by good conduct or good behavior. And that that behavior is in his works or his obediences to God. And that those works are done in the meekness of wisdom or the gentleness of wisdom. Put it another way, what James is saying here is that if you claim to be wise and understanding as a believer, there's got to be evidence of that practically in your life. Now you see this principle throughout the whole of the Old Testament book that deals with wisdom, the book of Proverbs. Let's look at three verses that confirm that in Proverbs. In Proverbs 11 verse 2, it says, When pride comes, then comes shame. But with the humble is wisdom. Notice that in that verse, the writer of Proverbs is saying that someone that's wise will have the evidence of that by humility, humbleness. Then in Proverbs 11, verse 30, it says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. Again, the evidence of someone who is wise is a desire to win souls. There's a practical evidence there. And then in Proverbs 12, verse 18, it says, There is one who speaks like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. Again, the evidence of wisdom is that you have a tongue that promotes health in someone else's life. And you see this over and over and over and over again in the book of Proverbs. I just used three there from two chapters, but there's loads. You have to have... Evidence of wisdom if you claim to be wise. Now, how will that be played out, that evidence in our church or in our personal lives? Well, it's not going to be done by someone who just lambasts through the church and says, Hey, look at me, I'm Captain Goodworks. You should listen to me because I am so good and I am so wise. It's not going to be that. The evidence is here in verse 13, where it's going to be someone who is just simply listening to the Spirit on a daily basis, being obedient to the good works that they are called to, doing it in humility, sobriety, and gentleness. Not promoting themselves, but promoting Jesus. That's going to be the type of person that God is going to speak through his wisdom to other people. Now, for me personally, I've seen this most evident in my wife. If any of you know my wife, you'll know that she's quite quiet, that she sort of goes about her daily life and doesn't say a huge amount, only to me. But she's gentle. She has a gentle spirit to her. And there have been times in our marriage where she said things to me, and I've been like, wow. That is a word of wisdom from the Lord that God has directly spoken to me through Emma. And do you know why I think it was so obvious? It's because Emma goes about her life in the meekness of wisdom every day. And so when she speaks something, it is just poignant. And you know it's from God. And that's been my personal experience of this verse. And it will be the same for you. 
God, I would say, is unlikely to speak to you his wisdom through someone that is just about themselves, about their own agenda in the Christian life. He is much more likely to speak to you his wisdom through someone who's just going about being obedient to God in gentleness. Why does it have to be this way? Well, because that's what Jesus was like. We know, brothers and sisters, that Jesus is the epitome of wisdom. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 3, speaking of God the Father and Jesus, it says there, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus is the epitome of wisdom. And when he was alive on the earth, when he was speaking his wisdom and living that out, he did that in gentleness. He said, I am meek, I am lowly of heart. And if we're going to be his followers, we are called to the same thing. If you want to be wise as a Christian and you want to be understanding, you've got to do it in the gentleness of Jesus Christ that comes from his wisdom. There's got to be evidence. That's the first thing that James wants to show us in this verse. Now he goes on in the rest of this text from verse 14 onwards and he's going to bring up in verse 14 specifically a group of people that were causing trouble in the churches that uh, he's writing to. And he's going to use them as an example to teach us about wisdom and about what real wisdom looks like. So he starts off there in verse 14 by saying, But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. Now, what was happening in these churches was there was these groups of people that were so desiring to have a position of of prominence within the church. They were so hell-bent on getting their wisdom and their understanding to be listened to by the church that they were prepared to do anything to get that position. They were prepared to have this bitter envy and this self-seeking in their hearts. They were prepared to have this kind of contentious rivalry with other people to get what they want. That's what bitter envy means there. They were prepared to put themselves forward at the expense of other believers so they got what they wanted. That's what the word self-seeking there means. And they were so convinced, listen, that they were right and that they needed to be listened to that even when there was a consensus of truth being brought forth through prayer and through the word of God in these churches, they were tempted to boast and lie against the truth. They were tempted to say, oh, that's absolute rubbish what you're saying. Don't listen to that. Let's not read the word of God. Let's listen to what I've got to say about how we should go forward as a church. And James is saying, look, if you're in that group of people, don't do what you're tempted to do because it's going to cause great damage to the churches that you are involved in. Now, you'd think that this kind of stuff doesn't happen today in the church, but it does. There are people in the church, individuals, groups of people that have their own agenda, and they're prepared to do whatever it takes to get that agenda across so that they can lead the church. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that you can't put yourself forward if you feel called to a specific ministry by God. 
We want you to do that as a leadership. If you feel called that God wants you to do something specific, come and talk to us. But it's the way that you do it that's important. If you're doing it in this character, it's not of God. God's not leading you. If that's your heart, if you're self-seeking and have this bitter envy. So then he goes on to talk about wisdom more specifically. And he says in verse 15 there, this wisdom does not descend from above. This wisdom that he's referring to that these people have in verse 14. Now, what he's showing us in this statement is that we have to receive wisdom. And I say that because he's implying that wisdom has to be received, and he wants it to be received from above, from heaven. Why do we have to receive wisdom? Well, we have to receive wisdom, brothers and sisters, for two reasons. Number one, we're not the source of wisdom. It says in Romans 16, verse 27, that God alone is wise. We also need to receive wisdom because we are not like God. (laughs) We are created. God is uncreated. We are imperfect. God is perfect. He's without sin. And so for us as created beings that are imperfect, we have to acknowledge that to be wise, we must receive wisdom from the source, God himself, who is perfect and all wise. How do we receive that wisdom? Well, very simply, we ask for it. (laughs) Very simply, ask God for wisdom. In James chapter 1, verse 5, we've talked about this already it says if any of you lacks wisdom let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach and and it will be given to him ask the Lord for wisdom and he will give it then it says in Psalm 19 verse 7 the law of the Lord is perfect converting the soul The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. So not only do we receive wisdom through asking, but we receive through the word of God. This word that you have before you, that many people have died for to translate into English, is able to make the simple wise. Hallelujah. But we also receive wisdom, brothers and sisters, from each other. We've learned already that people can speak words of wisdom into our lives. So you ask God, you read the Bible, you receive wisdom from your brothers and sisters in Christ. But the question is, what happens when we receive that wisdom? Where does it go? Well, James in verses 14 and 15 is teaching us that that wisdom goes into our hearts. The seat of wisdom is our hearts. You see that, I think, clearly in verse 14 and 15, where James says that this bitter envy and self-seeking in these people were in their hearts, and he acknowledges that as wisdom. So James is at least implying there that whatever wisdom we receive, whether it's good or whether it's bad, when we receive it, it goes into our hearts, it stays in our hearts, and then it comes out of our hearts into our lives. And the evidence of whatever wisdom it is comes out, whether it's good or whether it is bad. Now, this is important. It's important because many people think that wisdom starts up here, in the mind. 
it doesn't start in the mind. The biblical idea about where wisdom comes from is God. It starts with God. We receive it. It comes into our hearts. And then God uses our minds to actually activate that wisdom. And it comes out in our lives. Now, that's really important for people in here who think that they're more wise than other people because they're more intelligent than other people. That's just not biblical. Do you know that the Bible teaches that you can be the most unintelligent person, but you can still be more wise than the most intelligent person? Why? Because wisdom doesn't start with the mind, it starts with God. You receive it from God. It goes into your heart, and then God uses your mind. It's also important for those people in here who kind of use their lack of intelligence as an excuse not to pursue wisdom. There's nothing limiting you. Listen to wisdom. It's freely there for you. When you read the scriptures in the book of Proverbs, brothers and sisters, over and over again, God is saying, I want to give my wisdom to you. Hello, I'm here. Wisdom cries out to be received. It's there for you to freely receive. You don't need to be intelligent to be wise. Don't listen to that lie of the enemy. Pursue wisdom because God wants to give it to you. And so my question to you this morning, the question that God wants to ask you at this point, is what wisdom is seated on your hearts? Is it the wisdom that comes from God that you receive through prayer, the word of God, and through other believers? Or is it the wisdom that is of bitter envy and self-seeking? Which one is it? Ask yourself that question in your heart even now as you go through this week. Because God does not want you to have bitter envy and self-seeking. He doesn't want that wisdom in your heart. He wants you to have the wisdom that's freely available to receive from him. So, having taught us that we have to receive wisdom and that it is seated in our hearts, he goes on to say in verse 15 that this wisdom that these people have in verse 14 is not from above, it's not from heaven, it's earthly, sensual, and demonic. Now, when you read those words, earthly, sensual, and demonic, it doesn't really sound very good, does it? And you'd be right, it isn't good. When you read that word earthly, it means to be of the earth, or to be corrupt, to be of sin. The word sensual there means to be of the flesh, to be of the passions that are in our flesh that lead us to go to sin. When it says demonic, it means to be of demons, to be evil. The, the thing that links these three words together, brothers and sisters, is that what they speak of is the worship of self or the exaltation of self. When you think of earthly, it speaks of the rejection of God's authority in the world. When you think of sensual, it speaks of our self-nature, the sinful nature that wants to reject God and not submit to God. 
And when you think of demonic, it speaks of, in a sense, the devil in the beginning, when he wanted to put himself above God, and then, of course, was kicked out of heaven. These three things are linked by the worship of self, or self-exaltation. And probably the people that epitomized that in the New Testament period were the Pharisees. You remember the Pharisees? They were self-righteous. They didn't think that they needed to be saved, or they didn't need a Messiah. They were promoting themselves. Jesus said of the Pharisees that they were of their father, the devil. This wisdom, in verse 14, the bitter envy, the self-seeking, is just like the Pharisees. It is never good. It will never bless you. It will never grow you in your relationship with Jesus. Because it's of the self-life. It wants to promote itself. It is of the devil. Now, many of you in here, when I'm saying that, will say, yeah, amen, Adam, that's right. That wisdom's horrible. I would never submit to that kind of wisdom. But we need to remember, listen, who James is writing to. Listen, he's writing to born-again believers. He's writing to Christians who've responded to the gospel. They're saved. They're born again. But yet they're in this position where they've got bitter envy and self-seeking in their hearts. How on earth have they ended up in that position? (laughs) Well, this is where we need to talk a bit about basic theology. And I've said this before, but it's it's worth repeating. When we are unsaved, when we are unbelievers, we are in Adam. We've inherited from Adam the sinful nature. The law of sin is in our hearts. We have a propensity to do the wrong thing, to not submit to God, to not be obedient to God, to not even hear God or listen to Him. But when we get saved, listen, the Spirit comes into our hearts, we're born again, and the law of the Spirit is placed in our hearts. We begin to want to do the right thing, to be obedient to God, to be submissive to God. But the thing is, that law of sin is not removed immediately. We live in a time now as Christians where we have a tension in our hearts between this law of sin and the law of the Spirit. And both of them are trying, listen, to compete for your attention and to compete for dominance in your life. As it says in Galatians, the flesh is against the Spirit and the Spirit is against the flesh. And you can at any point in your life as a believer begin to allow the flesh, the sinful nature, the self-life to have dominance in you. And when you do that, listen, you begin to become hard-hearted if you don't repent. You begin to become desensitized to the things that you're allowing yourself to be exposed to. Those things that you watch on TV, on the internet, on social media, in your books, the things that are earthly, sensual, demonic, and you keep doing it. And what happens is you develop this bitter envy and this self-seeking in your hearts. Listen, I'm not trying to say this to discourage you, but I'm trying to say this to you as a reality, that we can be the same as these people in verse 14. And if we allow that to happen, listen, the results of that is not good. The results are found in verse 15, where he says this, sorry, not verse 15, verse 16, where he says, 
For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. So what that means is, is that if you live in this wisdom in verse 14, it is a sure way for your individual life as a believer, or even us as a church, to be confused, which means to lack order, to be all over the place. And also that every evil thing will be there, which means that there will be no life. There will be unfruitfulness. There will be a stagnation in your life as a believer and us as a church. This is obviously not what God wants. He doesn't want this. And this is why, listen, we here at Servants Church as the leadership team are desiring and praying that in this church there is a culture of discipleship where we have real relationships with each other, real fellowship, real accountability. Because when we're in those real relationships, guess what? People know your strengths, they know your weaknesses, they know your temptations, and they can hold you accountable so that you don't fall into this kind of wisdom. So that we can encourage each other and exhort each other to love and to good works. To not fall into evil. To not fall into confusion. This is why today, instead of encouraging you, I'm going to call you. If you see this church as your home church, get into some kind of small group. Whether it's the weekly groups on a Wednesday or the once a month men's or women's or whatever it is, I am calling you today to get into one of those groups. Why? Because I don't want you to end up like this person in verse 14. When you're on your own, when you've got no fellowship, you are vulnerable. You're vulnerable to being exposed to this earthly, sensual, demonic wisdom that will lead you away from Jesus, not to Jesus. Again, I'm being a bit passionate about this, but it's because I love you as my brothers and sisters. I don't want to see you lead an unfruitful life as a believer. I want you to have that full life, that eternal life that God has given you in your heart. I want you to live such a fruitful life that each one of you in here has such an impact on this city that people are amazed by what God's doing in your life. Whether it's good times or whether it's bad times. But listen, you've got to get into one of these groups. We have to know each other. We have to be vulnerable with each other. Because in that, listen, God will keep us from this bad, evil wisdom that comes from the devil. So he goes on in verse 17. And he talks about another wisdom now. He says there, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. So he's talking about a different wisdom in this verse, and this wisdom is not from below, it's from above. This is the wisdom that comes from God, the very source of wisdom. He says that it's first pure, which means that it is without corruption, it's without sin. It's peaceable, meaning that 
it is always wanting to pursue peace and not strife. It's gentle, meaning that it's not really wanting to fight and be angry. It's willing to yield, which means that it's teachable. It's full of mercy and good fruits, which means that it has a mind which is focused upon mercy, which is giving people what they, uh, not allowing to happen to people what they deserve. And good fruits, which is obviously the good fruits of the Spirit. It's without partiality, which means it's certain. This is a certain wisdom from God. And it's without hypocrisy, which means it's sincere. It's for real. It's not fake. Now, I don't know about you, but when I put my name in front of all of those qualities, it doesn't bode well for me. It's not good reading. Adam is not pure. Is Adam peaceable? Not all the time. Is Adam gentle? Maybe 60% of the time. Is he willing to yield? You know what I'm saying? Every, every quality that you go through, if you put your name in front of them, it does not bode well. But listen, when you put the name of Jesus in front of each one of those things, it is very well. Jesus is pure. He is peaceable. He is gentle. Jesus was willing to yield because, listen, when he was a child, he was willing to yield to his parents and he had to grow in the wisdom of the Lord. Jesus was full of mercy and he was full of good fruits. Jesus was without partiality. Jesus was without hypocrisy. The only person that fulfills this character is Jesus. He's the only one. And that reveals something to us, two things. The first thing is that when God gives you his wisdom, he wants to reveal to you the character of Jesus Christ. Whether it's through prayer, whether it's through the word of God, whether it's through someone in the church, if God is really truly speaking his wisdom to you, he will be revealing to you the character of Christ, not just to you personally, but to to the situation that you are struggling with, that you don't have the answer to. And so you can know, you can know and you can test what is being spoken to you. When someone says, I think I have a word for you or I have a word of wisdom for you, you receive it, but you can test it and you can say, well, is this really growing me in the character of Jesus? But the other thing that this teaches us is that when God gives us his wisdom, he not only wants to reveal the character of Jesus, but he wants to grow us in the character of Jesus. Because listen, we learned earlier on that wisdom, we receive it, it comes into our hearts and it sits on our hearts. So if we are truly receiving the character of Christ, that character is going to go into our hearts and sit on our hearts. And the Spirit is going to use that to grow us to become more like Jesus. Again, one of the wonderful doctrines of Scripture is the doctrine of sanctification. This reality that when you're saved, God just doesn't leave you to be the same person that you were. He begins this remarkable work in your heart where the Spirit begins to change you, slowly but surely, more into the image of Jesus Christ. And that's a lifelong process. And it will be finished when you see Jesus face to face. But in knowing that, we can know from here That when God allows us, listen, to go into difficult circumstances where we don't know what's going to happen, we don't know what to do, his purpose is for us to call out to him, 
to receive the wisdom of God, the character of Christ, and grow in the character of Christ. And to me, I find this such an encouragement. Because often, when you're going through a difficult time, the classical verse that people will say to you to encourage you is that one in Romans 8. You know, when it says, God uses all things for the benefit of those who love him? That's a great verse, don't get me wrong, but it does get a bit kind of stale when you've heard it 30 times. And it does feel like people are just saying that because they don't really know what to say to you. But you can remember this verse here, brothers and sisters, that even when you don't know what's going on, God does, and his desire is to grow you in the character of Jesus Christ. What an incredible thing that is, that by receiving his wisdom, you grow to be more like him. I can't think of anything better. And so lastly, he goes on in verse 18 to show us that this wisdom that he's describing in verse 17, it also has a result. Do you remember the result of the wisdom in verse 15 was confusion and every evil thing? Well, there's a result to this wisdom that comes from above in verse 18. It says there, Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. James knows full well that if people receive the wisdom from God or God's wisdom, they will pursue peace in their churches, in their relationships. They won't pursue self-seeking or bitter envy, which is going to lead to confusion and evil things. They're going to seek peace. And this is what the church is called to. The church is called to seek peace with everyone in the saints. That's what we're called to. In Ephesians 4, it says that we're called to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We are not called to be at war with one another, trying to break that bond of unity. We're called to maintain it in peace. That doesn't mean that we can't disagree and that we can't even debate certain things that Christians disagree on, but we're not called to be at war. We're called to seek peace one to another. As, as uh, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, the characteristic of those who are in his kingdom, they will seek peace. They'll be peacemakers. And the thing is, James is teaching here in this verse that when someone receives the wisdom of God and they pursue peace, that will lead to, listen, very fruitful discipleship. That's what he means when he says, now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace. When he says the, the phrase there, fruit of righteousness, what he means is he means that as born-again Christians, as we live by faith and we allow the Spirit to change us, the Spirit brings out tangible evidence of the righteousness that we've been given, that gift of righteousness. There is a visible evidence of his righteousness in our lives, and that's his work. We see that in Philippians uh, chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. Where Paul says, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ, being filled with, listen, the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. 
is God's work. He brings forth this fruit of righteousness in our life. And if we are rece- if we're receiving that wisdom from God, pursuing peace with one another, and that fruit of righteousness is coming out, it will be sown into our lives. You will sow that fruit into someone else. That person will grow in their relationship with Jesus, and then they will do the same thing with someone else. Can you see what I'm getting at? There's a multiplication. There's a fruitful discipleship that comes from receiving the wisdom of God. That's the kind of church that I want to be in. I want to be in a fellowship where this kind of stuff is happening, where all of us are involved in discipleship, where all of us are calling out to God for wisdom, receiving it from him, sowing peace into each other's life and sowing the fruit of Jesus' work in our heart into each other. I don't want to be part of a church where there's confusion, where there's every evil thing. I want to be part of a church that's fruitful, brothers and sisters, that's multiplying, that's going out, that's seeing people get saved, seeing the church grow in righteousness and holiness. And this is what God wants to do in this church. God wants this church, all of us, to be in submission to the wisdom that comes from above. Not the wisdom that's from below. Not the wisdom that's earthly, central, and demonic. Think about that this week. Think about what you expose your eyes to, your ears to. Is it earthly? Is it sensual? Is it demonic? Are you sowing into your heart the wisdom that's from below? Or are you sowing into your heart the wisdom that's from above? There's much at stake for us in this generation. We live, brothers and sisters, unfortunately, in a church culture over the last 75 years that's taken their eyes off of Jesus and they've put their eyes on a Christianity that's about self-worship. That Christianity's about you, it's about me. It's not about you or me first, it's about Jesus first. But we also live in this society in the UK where everything is about self-worship. You know, that, what's that advert, that L'Oreal advert, you're worth it? You hear that all the time, you know. We are worth it to an extent, but not the way they're thinking about it. But we live in a very crazy society, and even in a crazy church culture, and that's why this is really important. There's much at stake. Think about that this week. Pray about it. Now, as we finish, I just want to think about and address those people who might be listening online or in here who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. And I really sincerely want to just say to you that you are never going to find any better wisdom than what's found in Jesus. Jesus is wisdom. He is the ultimate definition of wisdom from God the Father. And the one event in Jesus' life that will determine whether you see Jesus as being wisdom is the cross. There's a couple of verses in 1 Corinthians 1 I just want to share to make that point. It says there, in verse 18, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And then in verse 30, Uh, He says there, but of him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. 
These two verses teach us that the cross is the defining act that will determine whether you see Jesus as the power of God or whether you see him as foolishness. And if you receive him today as your saviour, as your Lord, as you see him as the one that died for your sins, you will get to a place where you see him as the only thing that's wise. That he is the very definition of wisdom. And in him, you will have eternal life. Don't delay your response. Don't put it off till tomorrow. You don't know whether tomorrow is going to come. Jesus may come back today. Lord, please come back today. But until he does, there is the offer of grace at the cross. And you can know real wisdom. And you can be a living reflection of the wisdom of God. There's no greater blessing than that in this fallen world.